Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the potential paths ahead for inflation and how investors should think about investing during high inflation. With Phil Attreed, Head of Wealth Specialists, Luke Pierce, Senior Investment Strategist, and Chris Bamford, Senior Fund Manager. If you are new to investing, want to learn more about investing, or want tips on how to manage your long-term financial plans, check out our sister podcast channel, Money Plan, available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Word on the Street. And so this week we'll be discussing all things inflation, uh, from potential paths ahead to what asset classes or strategies tend to do well during inflationary environments. And maybe the most important point around how our experts attempt to navigate this kind of environment. So Luke, um, we've covered inflation a lot this year already, but it's perhaps a pretty topical time to revisit as we, we had the latest US inflation report this afternoon as we were preparing to record this podcast and the headlines frankly don't make for especially comfortable reading even by recent standards. So what were the key takeaways and what else has caught your eye on markets over the past week or so? Yes, it was another very red hot inflation report coming out of the US this afternoon as we record this on, as you said, on Wednesday. So we had year over year inflation coming in at 9.1%, uh, which was quite a bit above consensus forecasts of 8.8%. And actually the fall in energy prices isn't yet properly, properly accounted for in that figure. Um, but even if you look to core inflation, which strips out the energy and food prices, that also surprised to the upside as well. And so, you know, this inflation report was probably the last thing that the Fed wanted to see. Um, I think at this point, they probably don't care a great deal about the composition of inflation. They really just need to see it coming down uh, at this point. So it, it's now at this point all, all but guaranteed that they'll hike at least another 75 basis points again at the end of this month. Uh, and there's even an, uh, a very sort of minor probability that uh, investors are expecting they will go 100 basis points, though uh, I would stress that is uh, unlikely at this point. Um, what's been interesting is the initial market reaction to this print. Um, unsurprisingly, it's been quite negative. So stocks were down, um, bonds were down, um, particularly those at shorter maturity, um, even though actually the longer term maturity bonds uh, were also down, but have actually reversed um, that as, as, as I speak. And also gold was down as well. I think one, one of the few assets um, that investors could have um, hidden in today was, was perhaps the US dollar. And um, if we look elsewhere, though, um, what we've seen kind of recently over the last week or two is that other economic data has been reaffirming the slowdown in growth that we're seeing. Um, but we did see uh, on a more positive note, quite a strong um, labor report uh, in the US as well. So labor markets, um, by and large, still remain in pretty good shape for now. Um, but all in all, it still remains a, a hugely complicated backdrop for investors. You know, some of the questions that we're thinking about as a team, which you know, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get into, but you know, how much further will growth slow? How close are we to the peak in inflation? And just how far do central banks need to go in order to bring inflation down? Yeah, as you say, tricky times. Uh, now, obviously, we know that inflation remains elevated across you know, pretty much all major developed economies. What are the potential paths ahead uh, that you and the team see for the rest of the year? Yeah, I suppose a carried up front, if this year has taught us anything, or even the latest inflation print has taught us anything, we want to be a little bit wary about making strong predictions on the path of inflation. 
Um, but our suspicion is that inflation is likely to slow over the remainder of the year, at least in the US anyway. Um, as I said uh, earlier, growth expectations are continuing to deteriorate with actually few signs of abating. If you look to also survey data and comments from industry executives, we're also hinting that supply chain disruptions are improving at, at the margin too. So I think both those factors should help slow US inflation in, in the coming months. And I do also think there is evidence that monetary policy tightening is already beginning to work. So financial conditions have tightened materially. Um, that's really just a fancy academic way of saying that we've seen a large fall in asset values. So people tend to spend less when, when uh, asset values fall. Uh, we're seeing a flat U.S. yield curve or even inverted U.S. yield curve now. So yields on shorter maturity bonds are higher than they are on longer maturity bonds. And that's a sign that policy is tight and restrictive. And then if you look to the real economy sectors um, that are most sensitive to monetary policy tightening, so things like housing and autos, they are also showing early signs of cooling as well. And as I mentioned earlier, we haven't, uh, the inflation print yet hasn't um, accounted for the slowing energy and food price momentum as well. So um, as I said, I think inflation should slow in the, in the coming months, uh, at least in the US. The situation is perhaps slightly different in the UK, though. I mean, nominal wage gains, we, you know, we've seen are actually quite strong, but elevated levels of inflation are definitely eating into consumers' purchasing power. We've already seen one increase in the energy price cap this year that was quite material. We'll see another one come through again in October. And so we probably haven't seen the peak in UK inflation yet. Uh, and this is certainly the rhetoric coming out of the Bank of England. The primary drivers of inflation make it really tough for central banks to address the root cause. They can't simply produce more commodities or other goods that are actually in short supply. What they're trying to do by raising rates is to curb demand and, and really to try and ensure that wage gains don't get self-fulfilling and drive further inflationary pressures. So they do this through raising rates, but we've also heard rhetoric coming out of the Bank of England in terms of trying to moderate wage negotiations as well. And as Luke noted, there is some evidence that this is starting to work. However, the political situation in the UK has probably thrown another curveball to the central bank. We're seeing a lot of promise, policy promises from the prospective candidates that are fiscally expansive, which, you know, ultimately, if they were delivered, may fuel further the already difficult situation the Bank of England faces. That said, we're probably a long way between what is being said on a party campaign trail and the promises they're making between the party for the leadership and actually what materializes in terms of policy. And so the reality is probably that it simply increases uncertainty and the risk to the upside of the inflation for the UK. Quiet, and there's certainly more to watch there. Chris, while I've got you, though, you obviously spend uh, much of your days interviewing and analysing a number of our active bond managers that we work with on behalf of our clients. So what are they thinking about inflation at this point and how are they reacting? Yeah, generally, most of the managers that we speak to believe that the US, we're getting near to the peak in US inflation and it will start to moderate lower. But as Luke said, you know, that's a rhetoric I've been hearing for pretty much most of the year. The reality is that central banks, the, the inflation in the US is likely to remain above the central bank target well into 2023. Looking forward, though, even if inflation does start to fall, there is a great deal of uncertainty both on the upside and on the downside. And so the volatility of inflation could also be elevated as economies remain more vulnerable to shocks. Recently, there's been increasing concern from European-based managers about the vulnerability within Europe. Producer price inflation has become extremely elevated across Europe. So whereas CPI is focusing on the price inflation affecting consumers, producer price inflation is affecting producers. And in Germany, for example, this has reached a record of 
well, just over 33%. In Italy, this number is over 42%. So there's a lot of fear in Europe. And there's also fear that if the supply of natural gas to Germany was switched off, then we could be looking at inflation in the UK, in Germany in moving into double digits, probably 10, 15% has been referenced. Now, this month is likely to see the first rate hike in Europe since the days of Trichet in 2011. However, given that the recessionary risks are far more elevated in Europe uh, than they are in the US, the ability of the central bank to continue to hike materially, materially above zero may become more challenged as we move forward. So a relatively conservative rate outlook probably in Europe. Looking at other language, that other, other information that we're getting out of managers, I mean, PIMCO recently concluded their secular forum. This is where they look to identify the major factors that drive economies and markets over the longer term. And the conclusion was that economies are slowing quickly towards a stall speed. And at these levels, it won't take much for a shock to push an economy into a recession. Inflation is going to remain higher. And at the time, they said that it may even move higher in the short term. And that's exactly what we've seen with inflation today, surprising on the upside. Central banks have a singular focus at the moment on dampening inflation and avoiding an increase in inflation expectations. And this dynamic elevates the risk of recessions globally. There is a lot of recessionary talk around at the moment. And I'd say PIMCO believe that the next recession may potentially be more shallow than previous recessions. However, we may also see a slower, more moderate reaction from central banks. They typically have a history of fighting the last crisis and thereby the risk is that this recession, when it does come, even if it is shallow, may persist longer than uh, otherwise would be the case. Uh, and I suppose with that in mind, um, Luke, obviously we, within our portfolios and funds, we, we utilise many different types of investment. So what strategies tend to work well what asset classes tend to work well in environments of high and rising inflation? Yeah, so if you look historically, uh, commodities really tend to be the, the standout asset class. Um, so it's not the case really that inflation causes higher commodity prices. It's actually really the other way around. What you tend to find is commodity prices are obviously a key input into the inflation measures. Uh, and so are actually often the cause of higher inflation. And therefore, unsurprisingly, what you see is commodity-linked equity sectors, uh, so energy or metals, they also tend to perform pretty well during high and rising inflationary environments. And interestingly, gold, um, which is you know, often touted or regarded as an inflation hedge, um, has a bit more of a spotty record. So during the, the 70s sort of inflationary episode, it then tended to do quite well. Uh, but if you look at any periods of high and rising inflation, including um, this year, by the way, I think investors probably would have been a bit more disappointed. I think gold is down uh, sort of more than 5% this year. Um, but obviously, I would jump in here and say that, that past performance is, is not an indicator of, of future performance. And, and then if you look to kind of what we call alternative trading strategies, um, if you look at approaches, uh, things like trend following, um, which are strategies that systematically allocate to assets which have been recently appreciating in price. Uh, this could be ac across stocks, bonds, FX, or commodities, um, or they bet against asset prices that have been falling, uh, basically hoping that whatever the, the recent price trend has been will, will continue to be the case. Those type of strategies also tend to do quite well during um, high inflationary periods. What you find is that Investors can often underreact to quite large macroeconomic shocks, uh, and that's what really these strategies are trying to take advantage of. 
So there are ways of making money. But I suppose on the flip side, what tend, what assets tend to struggle most? So, I mean, anybody that's been paying attention to, to performance this year will know that many of the traditional asset classes, so things like major stock indices and bonds, they tend to struggle during these times. So rising inflation expectations and often the, often the accompanying rising policy rate expectations uh, drive bond prices lower. And I, I suppose we should, should just be clear, though, that Knowing or doing the analysis of what strategies have tended to work well during these periods is very, very different to being able to position for them in advance. Um, you need to kind of be able to have the foresight to know where inflation is heading um, that the market or other investors don't already know or aren't already discounting as well. And this is really why we talk so much about diversification all the time, because you know, just as you shouldn't be concentrated in one country or one region or, or even one style, you really shouldn't be positioned for, for one macroeconomic outcome. Right. And, you know, Chris, turning to one of those asset classes um, that, that does provide some benefit, you know, as recently as last year, we added inflation-linked bonds to the overall asset universe that we can select from when we're building investment portfolios and funds for our clients. How do we approach those assets, though? So I suppose in looking at that, we generally prefer to take a, a more global active approach. Um, I mean, in looking in terms of what's going on and why, I'd say longer term inflation expectations remain relatively well anchored in both US and Europe, with inflation bonds pricing in expectations close to target. When we look at the UK, by contrast, it presents quite a different dynamic. Longer term uh, inflation linked bonds in the UK uh, are going through a transition period. From 2030 onwards, the retail price index, which determines the inflationary benefit received by investors, for holding UK inflation-linked government bonds. Well, that's going to be reduced as the index is aligned to the Consumer Price Inflation Index, actually CPIH, uh, which is the preferred measure. Um, this means that the inflation benefit infl investors are going to receive from 2030 onwards will be structurally lower than otherwise would have been the case. Now, despite some recent legal challenge, this looks very likely to happen. And so longer maturity inflation assets in the UK imply that the central bank will miss its target by about 1% into perpetuity. As a result, there remains a significant disconnect between the UK and the US, well, and Europe for that matter. It is true that the UK can be more susceptible to inflation than the US. And recently, the Governor of Bank of England has highlighted that inflation could be a problem in the UK for longer than other markets. Nevertheless, it's not clear to us why the pricing should be quite so different amongst longer maturity assets. It is also not clear, if at all, when pricing will revert to other global markets because of the heavy demand from liability-driven investors, such as pension funds. And so that's why we prefer to take a global approach, but also an active approach when allocating to inflation bonds. And Luke, you reference the fact that both stocks, so equities, uh, investment and companies and bonds, have sold off together uh, this year. And this is clearly quite contrary to, to what most investors have probably become quite accustomed to since the turn of the millennium, so for some time now. Do you and the investment teams feel government bonds still actually have a place in portfolios? Uh, yes, we do, uh, is, the, is the short answer. Um, but it is, I think, quite a stark reminder that different economic environments can cause correlations or, or relationships between asset classes to change. And that can have quite a large impact on how you might think about designing portfolios. So and as a team, we spend uh, a lot of time thinking about not only what are the relationships or correlations you know, statistically on paper, but what drive those relationships, what drives those correlations as well. Uh, but for sure, we still think they, they have a place in portfolios. 
Um, we actually think some of the discussions around government bonds kind of not worth owning, um, given today's economic backdrop, are, are kind of eerily similar to the discussions that were had about commodities pre-pandemic. Again, we would really caution uh, against assuming that the future can only look like the recent past. I think for those without a crystal ball, as I said earlier, you really want assets in your portfolio that can perform in different economic environments. And for us, that, that includes government bonds. I'll take the lesson away, watch this space. And so lastly, Luke, for you, you know, it's pretty difficult to find any encouraging news or data about the economy at the moment. Is there anything that investors can take any comfort from? Yeah, so uh, you know, admittedly, short-term economic trends don't look great right now, to be completely frank. But this doesn't mean wholesale changes to portfolios are warranted. Um, we obviously don't want to bury our heads in, in the sand or anything like that. But what you tend to find is that investing mistakes happen when people's time horizons shrink. Um, it's very, very easy to get caught up over what can go wrong over the next few months or will we not or will we enter a recession rather than really sort of taking a step back and focusing on the long term and focusing on what can go right over the next few years. Um, so I suppose by way of a, a concrete example, very few people are talking about just how much cheaper asset class valuations are today versus uh, you know, the beginning of the year. Now, that obviously doesn't rule out things getting worse before they get, get any better. But for longer term investors looking for you know, a slightly more optimistic message than, than what you might read in headlines at the moment, you know, I think expected returns for multi-asset portfolios are higher today than, than where they were at the start of the year. Fantastic. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Chris, for your thoughts today. Thank you also to our listeners for joining us. And we'll be back next week with another edition. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.